Hey everybody, Jeremy Markovich here. Two quick notes before we get going. First, this podcast has a new home. It's now part of the North Carolina Rabbit Hole, which you can find at ncrabbithole.com. There you can check out previous episodes of Away Message. You can find any new episodes that we're putting out. And if you like this podcast, I think, no guarantees, but I think you will like my weekly newsletter. It is about weird North Carolina stuff. Comes out every Thursday. It is free if you want it to be. And you can sign up at ncrabbithole.com. Second, this episode was produced during my time at Our State Magazine. Now, I happen to think that most of it still holds up, but some of the promo codes and websites that I mention may no longer work. Okay, here's the show. A few weeks ago, I got the opportunity to make what could be the greatest phone call of my life. Station, this is Jeremy Markovich from Our State Magazine. How do you hear me? We have you loud and clear. Good to talk to you today. Good to talk with you, too. I, I can't thank you, you both enough for uh, taking time out of your busy schedules up there at the International Space Station to talk with me. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you both... Uh, Back in the spring, I contacted the folks at NASA to see if it would be possible for me to interview one of the astronauts who's currently on the International Space Station. Now, there were two reasons for this. One, as has been established before on this podcast, I love space. In fact, I have this app on my phone that sends a push notification whenever the space station passes over our area. And you can ask my wife about this. I have been known to stop whatever I'm doing to run outside and watch a tiny white dot go screaming across the sky above our house. The second thing, one of the women currently on board the space station, she's from North Carolina. Big day. Today, an NC State grad is blasting off into space. This is amazing. There she is right there. NASA chose Christina Cook to be an astronaut in 2013, and she competed her, completed her training in 2015. It took about six weeks of back and forth before NASA said, okay, you get 10 minutes to interview Christina and her fellow astronaut, Ann McLean. When the time comes, we will call you. They don't just, you know, give out the phone number for the International Space Station. So on a Monday morning, the phone rang, I picked up, and I was patched through to space. And what was the first thing I did with my 10 precious minutes? I asked a dumb jokey question. I understand if I could scrape together enough money here in the future that I might be able to come up to the International Space Station and, and, and join you or your colleagues uh, sometime in the future. So if, if I were to come up, I'm just wondering kind of what is daily life like up there? Uh, our typical days uh, are really there is no typical day. Um, I guess I suppose uh, the most typical is that we work about 12 hours a day. And here on the International Space Station, which is a national laboratory, uh, we have hundreds of science experiments going on every day. Well, it sounds like you both are, are very busy a lot of the time. And I'm wondering just how often do you get the chance to look out the window, whether it be uh, from inside or on a spacewalk, and just look down and just take in what you see. Now, obviously, you can't see this part on the podcast, but right at this moment, Anne, who answered the previous question, let's go with the microphone, and it just, you know, floats over to Christina. So she can talk to me. Well, as Anne said, we do have those 12-hour work days. So um, at the end of the day, we definitely can spend a few minutes unwinding by looking out the window. We have a beautiful, what I call the bay window of space station, and we call it the cupola. And in that area, we have kind of a 360-degree view looking down onto the Earth. And we can also see all around to the entire horizon or line around the Earth. Christina, I, I, we here in North Carolina were all struck by something that you, you tweeted back on April 22nd. And 
it was the first time that you had actually gotten a view of coastal North Carolina. And you said it, it, it took your breath away. And as somebody who grew up in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and spent a lot of time in the state during your formative years, what's it like to look down uh, and see the earth from a place that maybe you, as a kid you spent a lot of time looking up from? That's exactly right. You know, North Carolina was where I was when the sky inspired me to seek the career path that I'm on right now. And now, interestingly, I look down on the place where I'm from and I find inspiration there. When the coastal area of North Carolina kind of came into focus around the horizon the first time I saw it, it, it did take my breath away because suddenly the, the places I called familiar, the places I had seen on a map a million times picking out where I'm from, the waterways that I would use to find Jacksonville on the map were all there and they were real. They weren't on a paper map or on a computer screen. They were on the earth and um, that was a very, very poignant moment for me. Um, one of the things that I wanted to express about that in particular with coastal North Carolina is the ocean um, is one of the first things that I look to for inspiration because in addition to the night sky and the beauty of the universe, the ocean is another thing that makes us feel small and ponder our place in the universe and kind of ignites that spirit of wonder and exploration. That answer really stuck with me. Because I wondered, how does a kid growing up in Jacksonville, North Carolina make it to the International Space Station? What has to happen in her life? What choices does she make? How much work does it take? Who helps her along the way? How does a kid who grows up looking toward the horizon and dreaming and lift off end up going on a voyage that most of us can only dream of? Christina Cook of NASA, the first one through the hatch, being greeted by her crewmates aboard the International Space Station. And so today we have the story of Christina Cook's voyage, one that started on the coast, but took her to one of the state's most interesting places, a school that showed that a dream that seems impossible wasn't so impossible after all. From Our State Magazine, this is Away Message, a podcast about what you find in hard-to-find places. I'm Jeremy Markovich. Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. North Carolina has a long history with the space program, going all the way back, really, to the beginning. From 1959 until 1975, astronauts were sent to the University of North Carolina as part of their training. The reason? They needed to know how to navigate in space by just using the stars in the sky. And to learn what those stars would look like, they went to the Moorhead Planetarium on the UNC campus. In space, they used what they learned. We interrupt our regular program so that ABC News can bring you in color this special report on the Gemini 9 mission. On Gemini 9, an electrical adage meant that astronaut Gordon Cooper had to use these stars to navigate during re-entry. The Gemini 9 capsule safely parachuted to splashdown. Same thing on Apollo 12, after a lightning strike during the launch. And on Apollo 13, you know that Apollo 13? That training was just one of many things that got the astronauts home safe after an explosion in space. So, that's one thing. Here's another. On Apollo, 11. on Apollo 11, you know, the first moon landing, the one that's having its 50th anniversary this week, you 
probably remember these words from Neil Armstrong. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. But what you might not know is that the man he's talking to, the man who responds to him on the radio, is a guy born in Charlotte, Charlie Duke. Roger, Tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Duke himself would later set foot on the moon as an astronaut on Apollo 16. But wait, there's more. Apollo 14 has already had a very big scientific impact. North Carolina is the home to a pair of living moon trees, both sycamores, both grown from seeds that were flown on the command module of Apollo 14. And last but not least, let's do some drills. What do former Charlotte Hornets Larry Johnson and Muggsy Bogues and current Hornets owner Michael Jordan have in common? They all appeared in the movie Space Jam. Don't forget my North Carolina shorts. Your shorts? From college? But seriously, folks, North Carolina is the birthplace of nine astronauts. Christina Cook is not technically one of them. She was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but moved to Jacksonville, North Carolina at a young age and considered that to be her hometown. Here she is in an interview from January. Actually, growing up, I was pretty stable. We lived in the same town in North Carolina for many years, and it wasn't until I graduated from college that I started um, kind of exploring the world a little bit more. That college was North Carolina State University, where she graduated with two degrees. Well, I was really passionate about physics and electrical engineering, so that's what I studied. I think uh, everyone should follow sort of what they love, not necessarily what they think, uh, you know, if you want to be an astronaut, not necessarily what you think NASA wants you to study, but definitely what you love, and that's what drew me in. After college, she got a job as an electrical engineer at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center, but... I also had had an interest all along in Antarctica. Um, I had posters of Antarctica up in my walls when I was a kid. And after two years at NASA... I ended up uh, searching out and getting lucky enough to land a job working at the South Pole for a year. After that, she works on NASA projects, and other jobs take her to Greenland and then Alaska, where in 2011... She hears that NASA is looking for new astronauts. Got together my online application and hit submit. I was 500 miles north of the Arctic Circle at the time, and um, I thought I would never hear anything back from them. And for a while, she didn't hear much. So she finds a new research job in another remote place, a much warmer place. So much to do in American Samoa. Lots of outdoor adventure. She is the station chief of the observatory there. She surfs, she rock climbs, she does yoga, and in Samoa, she meets her future husband, Bob. And it's there, two years after she applied, that she gets what she assumes is a rejection call from NASA. As soon as the person started talking, I immediately launched into my speech of, thank you for the time, it's been a great honor. And they actually had to stop me, and she said, wait, no, um, I'm calling to tell you I want you to join our team here in Houston. It was really a fortunate situation. You know, most people mid-career, uh, mid-30s, don't have the opportunity to suddenly take a, a U-turn and start to have to learn a completely new career field. Christina learns to fly a supersonic jet. She learns wilderness and survival training. She learns a new language. I absolutely love speaking Russian. I seek it out um, at, at any opportunity. And in March of this year... This is the last chance for the crew to talk with everyone before they head out to the launch pad. Christina travels to a launch facility in the former Russian Republic of Kazakhstan, answers a few softball questions from reporters... Sorry, are you planning on doing any handstands in space? <laughs> <laughs> it might be the easiest handstand I've ever done. <laughs> then, the moment arrives... Engines at maximum thrust, lift off. And lift off. 
We have liftoff of Nick Hay, Christina Cook, and Alexei Ochinin now on their way to the International Space Station. Six hours later, and Soyuz hatch is open. She is the first one through the hatch. The International Space Station 254 statute miles over Bulgaria. She floats in, smiles, hugs the other members of the crew, but otherwise, she's calm and collected. And her family and friends? Well, just imagine how you'd be if you just saw someone you care about arrive safely in space. Hey, Tina. It's the Avion. Um... You know, we've been on so many adventures together, and I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on this adventure with you. And I'm going to miss you more than anything in the world, and I will be waiting for you when you get back. And I love you so much. I love you too, Diavion, and even though you're not here with me in person, you are in my heart, and I can't wait to see you again one day. Christina is expected to stay on the International Space Station for almost a year, which will give her the record for the longest ever space flight by a woman. The work she's doing up there will help NASA plan a future mission to Mars, but there is something missing from her story. A two-year span of time that put her on the launching pad to an amazing life. That part of the story, when we come back. This is Away Message. I'm Jeremy Markovich. Now, so far, I have been talking about Christina Cook, a woman from North Carolina who became an astronaut. And to understand a little more about how she got there, I talked to another woman who is obsessed with space, Myra Halpin. When people say, why do you want to become an astronaut? What was the reason that you gave? I would love to see the Earth from space. Uh, every astronaut that I have had the pleasure of talking with when you ask them to describe looking back at the Earth, it's really difficult for them, and it's an emotional experience to see the oneness of this little blue marble. Myra is a retired teacher, but back in the day, she did more than just teach students about space. She tried to go there. When did you apply to be an astronaut? 1985, the Challenger application when they, I was teaching in South Carolina. And I was one of the applicants for the Teacher in Space Project. I was in the top 100. And I did some work with NASA. And so as a result of that, I've had a lot of unique opportunities. Then they had another opportunity um, in 2005. I applied again. I was getting older. I failed the physical because I have a problem with the knee. So I have a good excuse for failing, right? <laughs> but um, I have always had this, you know, I thought, how cool would it be to be able to teach science from space? For the better part of three decades, she taught at the North Carolina School of Science and Mathematics in Durham, a place that looks like an old hospital because it was an old hospital. So you say there's there's people here in Durham that were like, oh yeah, it was born there, like yes. at the school. Oh yes, you, it's often. In 1980, state leaders turned this abandoned hospital into a school. This feels like a college campus, except for everybody here is still in high school. Well, the courses, most of the courses are college level. Mm -hmm. All of the faculty have 
master's or PhD. It's a place meant for some of the best and brightest high school juniors and seniors from all around North Carolina. Tuition, room, and board, they're all free. So there's no class system in terms of economic background, and it's sort of a level playing field here. How hard is it to, to become a student here? Well, it depends on where you live. Science and Math was, a, it was established initially because so many of the small rural schools couldn't offer advanced math and science classes. So the students that are in smaller rural areas, the competition to, to, to get in is a little different than if you live in Raleigh or Durham or, Chapel, or Charlotte. There's a lot of, you know, it's population driven, so you have a lot more competition. Um, and that's the reason, you know, I'm really proud of the fact that science and math tries to get a good demographics of the state. So we get students from all over the state. And back in the 1990s, one of those small town students here was a high school junior from Jacksonville named Christina Hammock, who today is Christina Cook. In interview after interview, she keeps on bringing up her time at the school as this really important turning point in her life. I think having amazing educational opportunities such as the North Carolina School of Science and Math, which allows you to focus in areas I wanted to understand why this school was so important to Christina. So I got in touch with Myra Halpin and she gave me a tour. Let's see if it still works. sneak in here. Oh, nice. We walk into a okay. chemistry lab. So there's just all kinds of equipment and, right. you know, right. beakers and, and... Yeah, and 3D printers. Someone just donated a scanning microscope. Mm. So this is another chemistry lab. You notice in my tour, I bring you to chemistry. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, gotta, you gotta talk about what you know. That's right. Yeah, 28 years here. Down in the library, there are these little glass meeting spaces where students work out tough problems. You can also check out dry erase markers and, and write on the glass and then erase the glass. And So you'll come in and you'll see chemistry equations, you'll see math equations, a lot of calculus stuff. In the classrooms, there are bigger tables instead of individual desks. There are no rows. Everybody works in groups. That puts the focus on collaboration, not competition. We don't have a valedictorian. We don't rank students. We move on to the dorms. So the students know right away who on hall is, they used to call them chemistry gods mm. or math gods. So they, if they had trouble with homework, they would know who on the hall they could go to for help. There are broadcast studios. Anybody home? Where teachers can teach students remotely. And we have three studios like this one. There's a recording space. Our music program is awesome. A gymnasium. We have every major sport except for football. And there are projects and experiments going on everywhere. I love, by the way, that there's just like tomato plants just hanging out in the hall, <laughs> just kind of just kind of doing their thing. Right, yeah. Well, anytime you have sun, you have to take advantage, right? Yeah. And in one spot, there's this display case. So here 
is a little bit of our space-related stuff. Oh, yeah. I worked with a group of students. We have flown experiments on a sounding rocket. You can see this over here. Myra points toward a tangle of tubes. That is a thousand scale of the canal in your ear. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. Students wanted to study why astronauts get motion sickness. So they created this model of the part of the ear that's responsible for balance. And then it flew on a big jet that simulates weightlessness by making these roller coaster type movements in the air. That jet has a name, the Vomit Comet. So you went on the Vomit Comet. Right. When we first did that, this, the students were not allowed to fly unless they were 21. So I had to fly. Isn't that horrible? That oh, was, darn. Oh, darn. Right. NASA projects are all extracurricular here. And many of them have practical uses. Astronauts on space station identify things that would make their life better. And so the students get a list of things. Like uh, a couple of years ago, one of the projects was we need a better toilet paper dispenser. You know, you don't think about, well, what happens if the toilet paper just all unrolls? You know, there's no G, you know, there's no gravity. And so simple things like that that we take for granted are things that it causes the student um, to really think about a problem in a different way. And that's sort of how Christine got involved here. I didn't teach Christina, but I had a after-school uh, NASA project. And that year when she was here, it was a mission to Mars. And so there was a problem about the problems of traveling to Mars. And so students worked in small groups to come up with some solution. When you look at who Christina is and maybe her personality or, or just kind of what she's become as a person, like, do you see some school of science and math traits in her that you can kind of pick up on that you've maybe seen a lot of your students? Two things. The principal one is she knows how to solve problems. And I think she came to science and math with already an enthusiasm for learning um, and for space. Uh, but here she had an opportunity to hone her skills a bit on how to be a better problem solver, how to be a good team player. The other thing that I think is just that natural curiosity. And it's okay to to learn. It's okay to ask questions in class. It's okay to enjoy science and math. With Christina, I think if you look at, and I've, I've watched her on, on the uh, NASA channel. Just under three and a half hours into today's spacewalk, which is going to last six and a half hours. And you see her solving problems. You see, and she always has a smile on her face. She's having fun. And I am, while he's setting up, I've actually ended up in a really good position for H1 on Delta, if you want me to put that in work. You know, and so, you know, I tell students, if you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong. And Christina, one of the, uh, I know you, you went on from Jacksonville, North Carolina, and went on to Durham. You, you, you spent some time at the North Carolina School uh, of Science and Mathematics and then graduated from North Carolina State University. And I'm wondering how those things led you to the path that you are now on today. 
Moving on to Durham, I basically had um, kind of the wider world opened up for me. It was a very challenging environment at that school, and I recognized that if I stepped up to those challenges that I could be successful and that the harder I worked, the more rewarding, rewarding the gains were. So that was an exciting um, period. And then moving on to North Carolina State was just a place where I found so many different ways to explore. I think most importantly, no one ever discouraged the girl from North Carolina that had a dream to become an astronaut, and I think that was the most important thing. How the stars seem to call Carolina to a little girl. Say, trying to give me when you're big and tall. Say, you were Away Message is a production of Our State Magazine, an employee-owned company that's been celebrating North Carolina for more than 85 years. You can get $5 off a year's subscription to the magazine. Just head over to OurState.com, click on subscribe, and use the promo code AWAY to get $5 off a year's subscription. It is our thank you for listening to the show. This episode was produced by me and James Michkowski. Elizabeth Hudson is our editor-in-chief. Our closing song was written specifically for this episode by Bo James of Greensboro. Special thanks this week to the folks at NASA TV for making our interview with Christina Cook and Ann McLean possible. If you would like to watch a video of that entire interview, we have put the whole thing online at our website, away.ourstate.com. Other interview audio with Christina comes from NASA's very own podcast entitled Houston, We Have a Podcast. Love that name. And one last thing. The North Carolina School of Science and Mathematics has a mascot. And it's fantastic. Fighting unicorns are, you know, you look on our sports team, it's kind of interesting to see how they've drawn a fighting unicorn. <laughs> yeah, what is a fighting unicorn? I don't, yeah, I don't know what... I mean, I've never seen a unicorn, so I don't know. I don't know how they fight. So, well, I think there's just the head of a unicorn that you know has a stern face. I guess we'll be back with another episode of Away Message really soon. I'm Jeremy Markovich. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>